Earthbed Muscle is a grassroots supplement company created by some of the best strength coaches in the United States to provide their athletes with wholesome supplements. Earthbed Muscle has changed the supplement industry with their minimal ingredient approach to sports nutrition. Dane's platform is also brought to you by the Acceleration Diet. The Acceleration Diet is a customized weight loss program catered to each individual, their needs, and their schedule. Accelerate your metabolism today with the Acceleration Diet. Finally, Dane's platform is also brought to you by Holistic Encapsulations. Holistic Encapsulations provides organic hemp extract with an incredible 27 to 1 CBD ratio. Loaded with CBDs, hemp extract has been shown to decrease anxiety, have a positive impact on cancer, improve sleep, improve brain function, and decrease inflammation. Head over to HolisticEncapsulations.com today and get on the path to holistic recovery. All right, so we're here for another episode of Dane's Platform, and I am fortunate enough to have Eric Johnson of Arate Throws Nation on the podcast here. So, Eric, thanks for being on. My pleasure. Thank you. So, Eric, I want to jump right into this discussion because I, I think a lot of people sort of need to know, like, everything about you because, you know, you're like this mystical figure on, on Instagram, and I... And even for myself, you know, you and I have hung out a couple times and we've talked a fair amount and, and text here and there. And, and I think it's just, you know, you're always posting like really good stuff, really good content um, on Instagram and social media. And, you know, you're you have like a laundry list of 70 footers coming out of your out of your you know area for uh, for shot in high school. Um so I just I, I sort of want to go into your background first, and and you know I I read up on you, and and you threw at UCLA, you threw uh, hammer and disc, correct? Yeah. Okay, and you so you trained under Art Venegas, you trained with Mac Wilkins. I yeah, he was. Uh, you know, Art had obviously was probably the first big time coach, right? That I, I had worked with, and then. You know, post-collegiately, I was always searching for information. I got a hold of Wilkins, and I think I learned a lot of really cool stuff from him and then got to know him a lot better over the years. And and kind of what I'm doing now, I almost started with him at one point, and then, uh, but timing wasn't right. So then I, like a couple years later, started Arate. Okay, so... In your own personal career, you you know you you threw at the Olympic trials in '96, correct? Yes. Okay, and then what? Like what? You know, just give it. What was your PR in discus? Sixty-three twenty. So okay, sweet. Seven four. That's good. That's really good. And it, I was a real. You've met me. I'm I'm got you know I'm decent height, long arms, but I'm not the biggest guy. Right. So that was kind of my whole career. I was kind of always the undersized guy. I think at the trials, the biggest I got up to was about right about two fifty. Okay. That's six four, so that's not like super huge. Yeah, that's not huge at all by any means. And uh, you would see if I, I had a big influence Olympic lifts, but my my max, you, uh, you'll appreciate this. My my clean max was only one hundred and fifty kilos. Okay. And I had a, like a one a one twenty snatch, and I could throw sixty three meters. Yeah, that's legit. That's really good. That's actually that reminds me of Seaman Peterson, the the, the Swedish yeah. guy, where they said he just benched one forty, I think, or one fifty for like the first time. Yeah. And he's thrown sixty, what sixty five? It's like you guys 65, are, yeah, 80, right? or yeah, you're, you guys so. are like exact the exact same thrower. <laughs> Except he's six six. Yeah, he's he's a little <laughs> bit taller. So, you know you. 
you had a, a good, solid, you know, throwing career. You, you, you made the Olympic trial finals in, in 96 and then walk us through, you know, walk us through what happened from, you know, 96 till 2010. You, you, I think you worked with Tony Chirelli a little bit. You, you had your right. own personal training business and then around 2010 you started Arate. So what happened, you know, what did you do, you know, those 14 years? Uh, good question. You know, Tony, I don't know how well you know Tony Chirelli, but um, he's, in a, he's an incredible coach, and he's a level four you know, international coach for USA Weightlifting. So that's how we became friends, um, and he's, he's kind of like my big brother, probably the, the biggest single influence on me uh, than any other coach or person. So, so I started working with him, and I helped him build up we had the Tony Trelli Olympian Throws Clinic, and that's kind of how I always stayed involved. So after the trials in 96, um, I competed for one more year. I was trying to run a, a small business. I had a, actually a small clothing company, which I figured out in the next few years that I absolutely hated. Okay. <laughs> and uh, But all while I was doing that, you know, what everything I do in my spare time was reading training and strength training and nutrition stuff. Um, I, you know, I loved reading about, you know, periodization and, you know, you name it, right? So, and Tony's one of those guys who's always learned, always turned me on to stuff, so I'd read things. And uh, so in 97 was my last year I competed at USA's, and you'll appreciate this. I was 228 at my last U.S. championships. Jeez. <laughs> so... So you deflated. I yeah, I was just <clears throat> just trying to work, and and I think that's what a lot of young throwers have a challenge with. Yeah. And uh, so I had, you know, I did okay that year. I had like a nagging calf, uh, like Achilles strain. So it just, I just didn't have that fantastic a season. I think I had actually got like a cortisone shot that year, so I could kind of complete the season. Um, and then I decided to go hang out with some buddies on a like August weekend or something, playing around, playing some pickup, like some touch football. And I blew my knee out. Okay. So I'm wearing cross trainers. I hit a patch of dirt that slides me into a patch of grass. And then my knee goes one way and I go another. And I look down because I thought my foot was facing the other direction. Ugh. And, uh, so at that point, I was like, you know what? I'll be okay. I'll, I'll, I'll just take a year off. I'll rehab, get stronger. And that just turned into work. And you know, I had met my, my future wife at that time. And then we moved to Chicago. And that's when I started a, a personal training business. You know, kind of got married. But now while I'm doing all this, we're still doing the, the throws clinic with Tony every year. And we're building that into a, a really big deal. Okay. And so kind of the, the, the short story is I build a personal training business. It goes like wildfire. It probably was one of the <clears throat> uh, most successful like studios in the country. We were in Chicago. And then I'm flying back to Southern Cal every preseason like February. And we do the, the Tony Trelli, which we later termed the Olympian Throws Clinic because in its heyday from probably – 2002, three till about 2010. The, the, the highlight of that camp was we would have 
just an incredible staff every year. So, you know, we'd have Mac Wilkins, we'd have uh, Jared Rome, Ian Walsh, Susie Powell, um, you know, there's and just all kinds of people that had been NCAA All-Americans. We Jason Tunks, you know, we had uh, you just name it. People would show up, and we would do a weightlifting section. Okay. And so, a lot of people don't know that Tony's wife was like the first. Uh, female regional coach for USA weightlifting. Okay. And uh, and then we had like Patrick Colin Carroll. I'm sure you probably know who Coach Colin Carroll is. Yes. No, I don't. Okay, he's a big West Coast Olympic lifting guy tied in with USA weightlifting. Okay. But I know you know who Wes Barnett is. Yes, and, of course. And those guys. So those guys would actually come and they would help do the weightlifting portion of the clinic. So it was just a really awesome time and we'd have like a huge party afterwards and i think people started coming to the clinic as staff just because they wanted to, to come to the the massive like throwers lifters party at the end of the <laughs> i'm sure that was so, a nice banger oh it was like and tony if you ever meet tony tony knows how to he knows how to like eat great food drink good wine you know, so these parties would be like, you know, sitting in a hot tub with Mac Wilkins and he's doing shots. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so so it was pretty fun. So, you know, and then Ian Walsh, you know, he he married Stacy Tregila, So she's hanging out at the at the clinic. And it was just uh, and of course, Tony's wife and Tony's daughter was, um, you know, she she competed on a. Uh, World University Games team. She was, I want to say, a 63 kilo lifter. Made uh, one, uh, uh, what is it, the collegiate, and she had done, you know, some. So we just had. It was just a really fun time. So that's really one of the things that, while I was kind of personal training, we always kind of kept. I always kept in. T you know, I was always never really left throwing, and I never never left that environment of weightlifting and that kind of thing. So. So what changed and how I started to irritate is we moved back to Southern Cal. Um, and I think I shared this with you briefly, but I had, uh, I had found out I had undiagnosed mercury poisoning. Yeah. So my brain wasn't kind of thinking right. We moved. I sold my old business. And then after being sick and all these different things, you kind of figure like, okay, I want to do, I want to, I want to do something that I absolutely love doing on a daily basis. And so that's when I started focusing more on coaching athletes. And then after a couple of years, um, we focused exclusively on throwing. Okay. So, so I, when I was reading about you, I saw that you had done, you were like Poliquin certified or something. And that was, I, I found that ironic because when I left Dr. B, uh, -huh. uh and moved back to Pennsylvania, uh, Adam Nelson had called me and he wanted, he basically wanted to know like, what, what was I doing with Dr. B? And I spent like six months writing programs for him and oh, okay. he had come off of like, uh, two or three years working with Charles. And he was like, yo, I really think you should go up and, and, you know, meet Charles and, and try and, you know, train under him if you can. And, and it ended up being, I just got that the level one and level two certification. And I found that interesting that you had also gotten that. And I don't think we ever even talked about that before. No. Yeah, no, we didn't. So I didn't yeah, know. Charles is a, he's, 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 a, he's really an awesome <laughs> character, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, the shit that that guy says is just 
has you on the floor half the time. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but it was really cool. So I get kind of you know doing some of those things, taking his courses, having, and I'm the kind of guy that's always going to go ask questions after you know a lecture period. Right. So I, I had done multiple courses, and I did his biosignature stuff. Okay. Okay. And so, I thought that was really cool. So 2010, you start Arate in Southern California, and by what 2016, you've got two or three 70 footers, or, or like 21 meter high school kids. Yeah, I think uh, Ponzio was like 21:35, Katnick was 22, what 22:025 or something like that. And okay. Then, and now I've got Tyson, who's you know what 2150 ish and uh he's fouled he's had two meets where he's fouled 22 meter throw and another meet where he's fouled like a like a 2285 or something like that that's huge he's he's ready to go i think i think he can go you know 73 feet this year so when you you know you just you just left southern california like two years ago right yes and you know what? I, I guess I, I want to sort of get into a little bit of the business side and then start talking about like just straight up training after that. But what you know, what sparked or what caused something along like you moving to, to Arizona? You know, it's a real simple answer. It's uh, freaking California just is a cost of fortune. Right. <laughs> so I got three kids and, you know, I'm trying to make it as a coach in Southern California and, you know, from from my standards, Arizona is very affordable. You know, some people think it's not not as affordable, but compared to California, it's ridiculous. Right. So, so that was really the reason for the move. You know, um, my wife and I were sitting here. I had I had actually got rid of the mercury poisoning while I was in California. So once I could really think absolutely clearly, we were like, why? You know, it's going to take forever by the time we're going to be able to ever buy a house. And uh, so we said, let's move. And then we moved out. We rented a place. And then about two years later, we just bought a house last year. And, like, my house would literally be more than double in Southern California. Jesus, that's insane. House, like nothing palatial by any standard. Right. Not size, but it's a nice little home. And literally in a worse condition in Southern California, it would have been double. So how do you – like, how does a gym even – I mean, and this is the thing, too, is that I've seen it and I and you've seen it where – there's gyms all over Southern California right. and dude, a, a lot of big time name gyms fail and it's maybe they're, you know, it's not cause they're failing because they suck or maybe they do suck. I don't know, but <laughs> a lot of them fail because they just can't pay their bills. Cause it's outrageous, you know, to, to charge what you need to charge to pay your bills. And I think that that's so like, what I want to know is how could you survive while you were out there? you know, charging whatever you needed to charge and, and what did you, you know, where did you train out of and all that stuff? And then, and then how do you see that as, you know, where are you training out of now? Or, and, and what are your goals from the business perspective? Well, uh, let's see, you know, I, I, the thing in Southern Cal that kind of worked out is I had a really small, like it was, it was the quintessential, like, you know, ultimate California kind of setup, right? I was on Pacific coast highway, and we had windows at the front of our, we had a very small gym and, but, but we were on the coast and you could see the ocean. Okay. And so I was paying a premium for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was small. So he, funny thing is this building I was in, 
had a parking garage underneath it. So I had only a 20, 1200 square foot like training studio. And because I had been in personal training for so long, I was going to do kind of some higher end personal training and then start training athletes. And what I had found was, is that obviously I just wanted to train athletes. So it was like strength and conditioning. And then of course, throwers, right. it's kind of garage strength ish. Right. So, right. um, so that's how I was able to make it. So, I mean, it, it, you know, I think I had put, you know, athletes into college programs in nine different sports. Yeah. That's and, insane. And, and then, uh, so that was how we were able to expand. And I think, you know, when you have a facility, you, you have to create multiple streams of revenue. So that was the thing. So we had personal training clients. We had you know, athletes. So it's like whatever, you know, basketball, lacrosse, football, soccer, track, baseball, you know, uh, you name it. So, um, and then, of course, we had throwers. So the thing was, it was always... You know, it's always it was always a grind to 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 pay the rents. You know, the rent was massive for a small space, and uh, so between just like my personal rent and my home, it's like I have to make a fortune just to like live, right? Yeah, just stay afloat. Yeah, so so that's why you know, and it was kind of you know tough, and you go through the startup phase, and you know, and thankfully my wife is like super supportive because she wants me to do what I I want to do, and then. Um, and then as she started to help in the business, that started to help in a huge amount. But, you know, on a funny note, when it comes to, to uh, costs, we're, we, you and I just so, – so people listening to this don't really realize that you and I are long-lost brothers <laughs> because we're all about, like, my wife, if she saw your thing, she'd be, like, trying to squat on your property, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we, you know, it's we're, – we're all about, you know, we want – sustainable meats, hormone-free, like grass-fed beef, you know, farm-raised pork. And so trying to eat that way, too, in Southern California was just outrageous. Yeah. Right? So, right. and that's what we did, though. And so, I mean, we've spent, and still to this day, probably spend more money on groceries than we do on our mortgage because cool. we, under, you know, food to us is super critical. So, tangenting a bit, but that was part of the, you know, part of the expense of living there. So when we just came here, everything was just cheaper, and so that was, again, one of the big reasons for the move. But, yeah, food, not cheap, especially for three kids. Yeah, and I think you know, I think that there's always this common misconception, like, oh, go to Southern California. It's going to be so easy. It's going to be so nice. You know, there's so many athletes out there. I'll be able to train. But from my perspective, yeah, it, I mean, clearly it is nice, but yes. it's not sustainable. And from a business perspective, even here, you know, where I'm at, and I, and it it's significant. It's very very affordable here. And I look at it as like, okay, if I live here and I have my gym set up here, okay, the weather does suck. But <laughs> if I have athletes that aren't going to be at the OTC, if and if if we sit here and we call Arate and Garage Strength like the regional training centers that are right. privately funded, it's significantly more affordable for an athlete who's not at the OTC to move to Arizona or to move to Pennsylvania and and try and survive and try and pay their bills and try and keep their head afloat while they're trying to, you know, go to the Olympics or go make a world team. And that's the part where a lot of people I think get lost is that they they don't realize like, dude, if 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 you want somebody to move out and train with you, like you shouldn't really be in California because of how the cost of living is, in my opinion anyway. 
No, I, I would agree with that 100%. And that's what we're trying to do. Like you said, eventually we want to set up so that we can bring in more guys. And I think next year with the Olympics, you know, going to be two years away, we'll have more people coming to train. And it is, it's affordable. I mean, that's, that's the thing. People can get an affordable apartment here. It's Phoenix is cool. I mean, I grew up here. Okay. So, um, and that was one of the reasons to go back. And I had showed my wife and she thought it was going to be different than what it is. And she really liked it. So, um, but yeah, it's, you, you, you know, if you're back there, obviously the weather, which I think makes, you know, the East coast throwers, I always have a, a ton of respect for because I mean, we are absolutely spoiled in, in the West. Yeah. You know, if you, if you train in California or here in Arizona, I mean, you're spoiled. The weather's always good. You're never worried about rain. If it rains, we're like, oh, we, we can't throw. We can <laughs> it was pouring this morning and we're outside just tossing for like an hour with two inches of water in the circle. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. So, I, I mean, that's definitely, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, you, you hit it on the head. It's, it, it, it's, it's m- much more practical because you're, you can survive and live relatively comfy and afford to train. You're not going to be dying on the cost of rent. You know? Right. So tell me, you know, now you're, you're, you're in, you're in Arizona and you, you've got, you, where do you guys train when you're not throwing? Where do you do like your lifts? So what I, what I did when I came out here is, um, because I had gone through owning gyms and stuff, um, I just started to approach different gyms to see if we could, you know, rent basically access. And so that's what we did. And so we had a, we had a small gym the first year moved to a, a bigger place the next year. And they had like 12 platforms and it was a CrossFit gym, but they also had a weightlifting component. And that was actually a pretty good setup. Um, and then we would find, you know, some funny enough, we, we would do some of our practices at parks. I've seen the, the sidewalk throws. Right. So, so then I made my portable toe boards, which, which which those things are awesome. Yeah. So that was like, okay, I can't have my shot putters thrown without a toe board. So we, I figured out how to like, okay, I'll, I'll get the thing. I'll mount it. I'll flush it up to the sidewalk. And now I have two rings. So it worked out great. And then, um, so we did that and we did a lot of training there and then we would throw cause you know, you have, you have these parks out here that are like, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 acres, right. with like an eight foot wide sidewalk around the whole thing. So there's like, you know, a mile and a half of sidewalk. <laughs> and so it was like, yeah, okay. So we'd use a hundred feet of it and scribe out, you know, eight rings or something. And it's like, so that, that actually was kind of, you know, funny enough. One time Jason was like, uh, you know, we had like, he was some, some, this will be the intimate knowledge thing that people, he'll probably hate that I'm going to say on this thing. But, uh, you know, he got, he got it. He had a time one time he's kind of complaining. I want to be throwing this or that. And I'm like, listen, bro, all you need is freaking some concrete. It's all about the technique. It doesn't matter what the freaking surface is. So yeah, yeah. we're, we're getting what needs to be done, done. And he was like, yeah, okay. Right. So, you know, and it did. And we obviously Tyson, you know, we had, my first two years, like last year, uh, Arizona does it weird where they have, you know, four divisions. So you have essentially, you know, four state champions. Yeah, PA has and, two. Right. So, so 
I, you know, last year I think we had six state titles because we won various divisions, and then, you know, uh, and then we had runners up and all that kind of stuff. So the first few years we we're out here, we were just kind of came out and got a good crew and just kind of crushed things. So. So let me ask regarding that with the high school coaches, like how do they handle you guys as like private personal coaches? Like do they do they seek you guys for more knowledge or do they sort of shun you and and almost speak negatively negatively about you because their athletes are going to train with you you know uh let's see the way to arizona has been fantastic and i i don't know if it's kind of the but most the coaches out here have been it's been it's been really great like they've been really receptive um they they kind of understand what we do and i think you know, because we obviously have a program that's designed to help coach coaches. Uh, I think they, they, they understand that. And, you know, so they've been very receptive and, you know, we, we put out our tips and that kind of thing. And so, I mean, my whole intention with Arate in general was to, to really help the sport, you know, I mean, selfishly, how it all kind of evolved is I was that kid that really hadn't, didn't have a really good coach or a program. Yeah. And so that's where I, you know, before I went to UCLA, I actually went to Mount Sac. Okay. And uh, so I was like, you know, 6'2", 183 pounds senior in high school. No, no weightlifting. I bet you I couldn't even squat 225. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, you know, you've got these savages back there. Like what, what the hell's in the water in Pennsylvania, right? Yo, Haley could back squat 225 for five and she weighs 105 pounds. Yeah. I was just a fucking gangly puss. right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I threw 172 feet, you know? Yeah, that's good. Weak bastard. So, um, uh, but so it, nobody recruited me even locally. And I was kind of like, I had no idea what I was doing, so I went to a youth meet in Mount Sac, and then uh, I was like, wow, this is a hell of a junior college, like, and so we went and talked to the coaches, and they're like, oh, yeah, 172-foot high school thrower, sure, come on in, and then, so I get, you know, I talk more about that, but, so the point was, is that I was, had never any coaching, so I basically wanted to create a, create a program that I wish I had. And, and the bottom line is, is, and I'm sure you understand as a private coach, you know, how many schools don't even have a throws coach yep. or it's just some guy, it's his first year, he has no idea what to do, or there's been some people there for a couple of years and they're nice guys and they're well-intentioned, but they have no idea how the throw works. Yeah, yeah. And so they don't know how to structure, they don't know, really know how to coach, they don't know how to structure workouts, they don't know how to structure a practice. So, you know, so I think that's been really the aim with Arate Throws Nation, right? Our throwing chain reaction system has been like, how do you, how do you leap right? You worked with Dr. B. You know, I've obviously I've seen you coach. I have a ton of respect for what you do. Um, and it's like, but how, you know, you, you trained with Anatoly Bunderchuk. It's like, <laughs> how, how, how much did that fast track your career? Oh right? yeah. Yeah. A ton. It's like, so. And so how many people are going to be able to, you know, are going to go move to Canada and train for six months or a year or however long you trained? Right. You know, and it's like, and I think you'd know, it's it's learning and application. And if you don't have the opportunity to spend years of your time and attention, you're just never going to really develop as a, as a coach. So, 
kind of the objective I did, or my objective was to actually, how can we get high school coaches or even, you know, uh, college coaches, how can we give them something that's going to actually take, you know, 20 plus years of information and, and all of a sudden within four or five hours, they actually have a much better grasp and they're going to be able to go out right away and, and start making a difference. And, and that was really kind of the intention. And it was because I selfishly, like I said, never, I wish I would have had somebody to teach me how to lift and how to throw and and, you know, because I, I think I could have been a 200-foot high school discus thrower had I had a program. Right. You know, but, um, and then if that's the case, I'm a, you know, I'm a Power 5 conference recruit. And, you know, my, my, my whole thing is it's a different career. You know what I mean? Absolutely. No, I think so. that that's, I think that that's a really, I mean, that's, one, it's a well-intentioned way to start a business. And I think that that's probably the best way to start a business is to sit there and be like, okay, what did I not have that I just learned about? And now I, now I have it. And how can I get other people? How can I help other people accomplish what I did, but to do it even better and then still make money so I can pay my bills and feed my kids, you know? And I think I, I very, very few people get that. And I think that that's, I mean, that's, and that's why you get the results too, because I think that you can sit here and, and just from the time that we've been around each other, I can tell like, your athletes are into you. Your your athletes want to want to train for themselves, but they also want to train because they they're motivated by you and, and who you are and what you've done as a coach and what you were as an athlete and how you know you give them that effort. And you're sitting there modifying freaking toe boards and putting them on sidewalks and teaching them like, look, dude, like you don't need to train at the OTC to be the best discus thrower in the U.S. Like you don't have to do that. Like stop crying about it. I know you're not spoiled and pampered, but at the end of the day, thrown on this sidewalk right now is going to get you fourth at the Olympic trials. And that's what happened, you know, with Harold. Right. So it's like, I think that's the coolest part about you is that you can see it, that, that that's, that's what it is. You can see that, you know, the, the athletes want to compete because you're a good fucking dude and you're not just, you know, some schmuck that they hired and, and, you know, you got everything at, at your fingertips, but don't know what the fuck to do with it. Cause you've been spoon fed everything your whole fucking life. <laughs> um, so Dane, by the way, did you, should you announce on the show now that you and I are going to have the, the Dane and Eric podcast? Fuck yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> once a month. We'll do it. I, I, I can hold myself accountable to once a month. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know what? I forgot I'm on your show. This is like when somebody shows up on the Bill Maher show and doesn't cuss. <laughs> you know what's funny is that is that you swore first, so then I was like, well, Eric swore first, so now I'm just gonna fucking let it go. <laughs> I figured I would try to keep it tame because I know you know we might have some younger listeners, but you know my my throwers know I swear, but it's like it's. It's appropriate swearing. Yeah, 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 I mean? for sure, for sure. And I think that's what's funny is everybody always says, you know, Peyton, my my really good girl. They'll they'll be like, how does Peyton respond to you? And I'm like, well, I don't swear at Peyton. Like she just has that personality where I know not to swear at her. And they're like, so you can just turn your swearing on and off. I'm like, yeah, dude. Like I've ta- I talked to Nick Aranius like six days a week, and I've probably only sworn like two or three times around him because he's just it's not needed around him but there's other people like sam that i'll swear every other sentence with him (laughs) so i i think that that's like dude i i I don't know i think that that's the a really really cool way you know with with from that business perspective and i think that that's 
Dude, the most frustrating part for me is seeing, you know, athletes trying to start a business like what you have or what I have, and then they and they think they're gonna make money. It's like, no, that that's not it's not a well-intentioned reason to start a this type of business. You're not you're gonna be able to pay your bills, but at the end of the day, like your athletes aren't going to really buy into you. They're not going to see you as super successful. You're not going to give them the effort that you want because at the end of the day, you care more about money than you care about, you know, having an Olympian. And that's the thing with you, Eric, is that to me, money is is like the third thing on the list. And the priority is like one, you know, just being a good fucking person. And then two, you want to create fucking champions. And then, and then the third thing is, okay, well, I need some money so I can pay my bills. My wife's happy and my kids can have a comfortable life. Right. And like, that's, that's where it's, and that's why you're successful because that's what your athletes see. And they, and, and they know that you're not just fucking some scoundrel trying to, trying to, you know, completely leverage them to, so that you can, you know, be a millionaire or whatever. And I think that that's, I think it's an admirable thing, and I just think it's badass, and 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 I do want to give you props for that because I don't think, you know, if if we would call ourselves these regional training centers, which I like to term, and I and I'm going to say that like you that. and I are are, uh, are like regional training centers, you know, west and east coast. Right. Um, I'm trying to think who would be the other a couple others that we could that we could throw out there, but it's like. People don't really comprehend that struggle. They don't comprehend the financial struggle. They don't comprehend like, dude, you're probably working 70 hours a week and you're not making that much money, but you don't give a shit. I mean, you do give a shit to an extent, but you're also sitting there like, you know what? I'm going to be creative and I'm going to help these fucking throwers get to the top no matter what. And eventually people are going to recognize it. Yeah, no, I I mean, it's, uh, yeah, you hit it on the head. It's, I'm I'm not going to get rich, but I'm not doing it because I want to get rich. You know, you know, they, uh, I always throw this at people. There's the, uh, you know, if people said, what would you do if you won, you know, a hundred million dollars? Yeah. 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 And most people are like, I quit my job. I'd move. I'm like, I would build the most bad. I'd build like a $5 million growing center. Yeah. (laughs) And I would be doing exactly what I'm doing. I just would never have to worry about money again. Yeah, exactly. It'd be so much nicer. (laughs) Yeah. So I wanted to get into, you know, a little bit, a little bit of like the, like the training side and, you know, what are your, you know, looking at Jason and Tyson and, and all the other throwers that you have that you're posting and all that, like, what are you guys doing like weight room wise? What are you guys doing? You know, do you throw different implements like various weighted implements? Do you just stick with the competitive shots and discs? You know, do you do the Olympic lifts? Do you do power lifting? Do you do, you know, how many days a week are you guys throwing? How many throws a session? All that stuff. I just want to go into that just briefly so that we can, you know, just get a little bit of a sense of what you're doing training wise. And then, and then we'll close it out with everybody can, you know, where they can find you. Okay, great. Uh, you know, yeah. Olympic lifts, I think are the bread and butter for, for, uh, throwers. I, I know for me, when I was training, that was, <clears throat> that's how I became friends with Tony Cirelli. So he had the reputation. He was the guy, you know, USA weightlifting guy he had, at Newport Harbor High School is where he was based. He had all kinds of platforms. So that's when I made the switch in my training. Um, you know, I learned a lot from, you know, Venegas was very much, and this was a long time ago, so I'm sure our, you know, have made it, you know, changed over the years. But 
you know, I got strong. I had a big, I had a, I, for, you know, for me, I was strong. I think I, you know, I, I, I had a single at like 520 or 30 in the squat at one point. Okay. You know, but that's wrapped up in a belt, and I think I even had a suit on. <laughs> okay. So Let me never, ask quick. Yeah. You know, I always get hounded, especially by the guys that I train off-site. Like, do we really have to do the full lifts? Do we have to go in the hole? And, and I just want to see – and I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong, but I want to see your take on that. Like, do you guys, when you do snatches or cleans, and I'm not saying that I do full lifts all the time, but I want to know, like, do you guys do full Olympic lifts or are you just doing powers? No, I like to have my guys work on the full range of motion, right? I yeah. want, if I, obviously, if I can get my, my hips, you know, all the way into the hole below the knee, like on a clean or a snatch, Obviously, you're elongating the hammies, you know, you're working the hips right, you're working through that complete range of motion, you're getting that kind of stretch reflex off the bottom of the lift. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think that's critical. And then we'll do some different stuff, you know, we'll, we'll pull from a, from a box or we'll, you know, we'll do power. But I always like cycles of full range of motion. Okay. I want squats, you know, ass to grass. Right. So... I'm so glad you're so. saying that. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it doesn't make sense to just work on limited range of motion. I get that box squats are beneficial or quarter squats. You know, when you throw, you're not going to be in the hole. But you're, you know, to have that balance, right, you need that full range of motion because you're going to have a better, more symmetrical structure if, unless if you're, if you're always working in the limited range of motion. Absolutely. You know, how you're going to start to have deficits after a certain point. So, you know, your, your basis is the O-lifts. Like, from a strength perspective, from the leg side, are you, like, front squats, back squats, box squats? What, what do you focus at? Poles, like you had mentioned? Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I probably put more emphasis on the front squat uh, just because uh, I, know, I know a back squat is more probably total power output. But a front squat to me is is more specific to the throws, yep. um, and of course your Olympic lifts. But um, but we do both, and you know now I, I would say gliders probably need a little more back squats than rotational throwers. How many days a week are you guys lifting? Um, it depends, right? You know, I definitely whether I do it exactly right or not, but my whole thing has been, you know, block periodization. So, you know, we go through our accumulation phase. So I'm, I'm, I'm anywhere from depends on when off season, you know, it's a probably a, it can be a four to five day lift. Um, so any accumulation phase is probably at least four days. Once we're into more of the, maybe a championship phase or we're getting closer to the championship phase, if I'm going through an accumulation phase, I, I may, just keep it to a three-day lift, but still usually about four. And then, uh, you know, and obviously then we go through like a transmutation and, and realization phase. So I'll, I'll schedule multiple peaks throughout the season. And, you know, that's kind of what. <clears throat> so obviously if I'm in a realization phase, I'm, you know, we're going to be lifting three days a week. It's going to be pretty light. We're going to have more rest between sets. It's going to mirror competition. And, uh, so, I mean, that's just kind of what we tend to do. Okay, so if we go, like, strength movements 
upper body wise, what are you looking at as far as like your 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 best? You know, give me like two or three key upper body lifts that you might focus on. Um, jerks, and you know, I don't do. <clears throat> I, I've probably gotten in the last few years pulled back um, or or started doing a little bit more on the bench and stuff. Really, I, I always keep it like a low incline. That's just my kind of preference for, for my throwers. I think that kind of simulates the angle of delivery better. Yeah. Um, now, like, but <clears throat> like Jason's first two years I coached him, I didn't have him doing hardly any bench. And so just my, my experiences as a thrower, when I stopped benching, <clears throat> I, I would bench in the fall and then I wouldn't bench during the season which I watch all your guys bench and I know that's not the case. <laughs> that's okay. So, but um, you guys are but, pussies for not benching. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> I just saw your fucking four, four Oh five, four or whatever. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, but um, so interesting enough, you know, J Jason's background was deadlifts and bench presses and heavy back squats. And then, you know, he had never, he never even made it to the NCAAs in college. Um, he had a okay, you know, respectable PR, like 58 meters, but he had done that once, and I think his, you know, next best competition was like 56 mid or something. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> so the next year, you know, and he'd always been kind of banged up, and you know, always have weird little things, which he he has had still intermittently. But the point is, is we we took him off of deadlifts, we took him off of the bench. I took him off at heavy back squats. He went to Olympics, some more snatches, um, you know, jerks. And, you know, so the next year he obviously went to like 6170, made the U.S. championships, you know. So he went from not even making the NCAAs to, you know, top 18 in the U.S. in a year. And, and completely changing his lifting was definitely a big part of that process. So, so. So that was kind of a, a weird roundabout way of answering. So upper body lifts, I mean, you know, for me, I, I don't know if you consider the snatch just an upper body lift, but I think snatches are just like the bread and butter, especially for discus throwers. Yep. Um, so I'm always focusing on some of that. And then we do some assistant stuff. You know, I like to – we'll do some banded type movements. And I'm a, I like a lot of posterior chain focus. You know, I think, uh, you know, nobody, you, you've never seen an old man that's 90 years old walking super erect or falling backwards, right? Gravity pulls you down over time. Right. Everything we do on a daily basis is anterior, pretty much dominant. So a lot of small assistance stuff. Um, and so, you know, wall slides and different things. Like, so I look at it, I call it integrated, you know, or, or I call it GPR. That's what we kind of just coin because um, we want gross posture rebalancing. That's that's kind of our term. Okay. Uh, because it's it's uh, and I made that emphasis because it's not like I'm trying to be, um, you know, somebody who's focused on every little thing. That's why I say gross posture. We just want to be able to look at an athlete and go, that guy looks like an athlete. And so you know, something as simple as a supine grip, you know, barbell row, does a ton for the scap retractors. And, you know, you're kind of engaging your external rotators if you're holding it right. The, the supine grip is going to automatically position the scaps better. 
you can put a bunch of weight on that and there's just that's a lot of bang for the buck and it's a simple a simple movement right yeah i agree 100 percent. i'm jealous of your ability to come up with really sweet acronyms <laughs> i think what i'm going to do tonight is i'm going to go home and i'm going to sit on my back porch and i'm going to write down a whole bunch of different acronyms for for all my businesses and see if i can rival anything that you've come up with <laughs> damn you <laughs> so if if we go you know moving from from the weight room now to the circle like what would like are you guys throwing five days a week are you taking 20 throws a session or 40 are you throwing off weights are you staying with just the consistent implements the competitive implements you know are you doing any anything i've seen you guys doing med ball work into walls and stuff like that like what what all are you going to be doing as far as training you know in the circle um circle you know volume it's it's always kind of interesting I, i'm probably air we probably take a fair amount of volume <clears throat> um i'd say my shot putters are probably you know a minimum of 30 throws um i'm not quite as high volume as somebody like you know i've heard coach you know like john smith is like all about massive volume and obviously has a lot of success so it's it's you know but um i think it's definitely athlete dependent um, and I think you hit that point where the central nervous system is going to shut down. It's so, and it shuts down fast, Yeah. you know, and you, and you hear some different people and you hear, you know, you see things posted. Oh, so everybody talks about the central nervous system. It's like, I, I'm not trying to make, you know, complicated or throw out a term, but it's like, you can see when an athlete's basically like they're starting to tap out. So to continue to throw at that phase is kind of, to my point, a waste of time. Right, and right. So, so some guys can do it, right? Some guys can just throw like insane volume. I I think I don't know what you think, but I think a lot of that depends on what they do, what they've done growing up. Because I've seen, um, you know, if we would talk about other strength athletes or like gymnasts, that like maybe I get a thrower who was a gymnast or a weightlifter who was a <laughs> gymnast or a wrestler or something where they have they have the ability to have a large amount of output over a long period of time those are the throwers that i could see taking like 50 to 70 throws and not getting burned but if you get if you get even like just football players that are coming out like they're going to be gassed by like 40 45 throws in my opinion yeah i I would and you know and i think it also is has a lot to do with the athlete themselves like i you know like i had uh nick ponzio right he was a 69 7 kid and kid just He's five. He's like five ten. He's kind of got a Joe Kovacs kind of a build to him. Right, right. And he's just a freak. I mean, kid had a five hundred pound bench in high school. He he loves the weight room. You know, I, I would call and be like, Nick, why you look so tired? He goes, Well, I was lifting last night. And I'm like, well, Define last night. He's like, Well, I went to the gym at one. <laughs> I'm like, Dude, what the hell are you doing? Man? Yeah. I'm like, now your cortisol's up. What time did you go to bed? Like 4.30 in the morning? I'm like, what's the matter with you? Yeah, and he's so, taking pre-workout at 1 a.m. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I think so. So, But a kid like him, you know, he'll, he'll, he loves the weight room. And, and he'll, he will overtrain, so you still have to manage a kid like that because it's like he'll hit his point. Um, and then I've had, you know, I have other kids who are like real um, – even how we approach their volume in the weight room, it's like if I try to do, you know, even a, 
or like an off season accumulation phase and I'm doing like fives, you know, if I'm doing like five sets of five or six sets of five or something, the kid will be like, he just, he, the kid would like tap out. So I would have to do like, you know, six sets, seven sets of two, right? you know, and the kid would respond great to that, but he'll take a dump with, you know, so I think that's definitely, that's one of the things I like about block periodization because obviously you can, you know, you go, once you go through a, a one to two cycles, you really start to get a sense of like, okay, this is how I got to adjust this kid's next cycle. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, so, uh, so, you know, so, so that being said, you know, you have the, what do you do volume wise? So kind of, I'm looking at those variables then. So if I have that kid who, you know, he, he's going to probably be in that 30 to 40 range is going to be really his sweet spot. He's going to hit good throws, timing, rhythm, everything's going to be on, and then I'm going to be cutting it. He may want to throw more, and if it's, you know, maybe the off-season, early season, maybe I let him throw a little longer. Once we're in season, I'm going to be real conscious of, like, okay, I'm going to cut. Like, that's it. You take one more throw, you're done. And then the high-volume kid, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do the same thing. So, so I don't have like a, I, I really do look at it based on the athlete and then I really pay attention to like when I start to see that them coming on the downside of the peak and then I try to cut them before they've like gone too far over it. Are you throwing different weighted implements or just the competitive shots? <clears throat> no, I, I like, I like, you know, variable weight, especially in the shot. <clears throat> um, I don't know if I do this differently than other people, but my focus is I do it throughout the practice. So it's where, you know, you know, sometimes people are saying, like, today I'm throwing the 6K, and tomorrow I'm throwing the 12, and then, and then I'm going to throw the, you know, the 5.5 or whatever, or the 11, or, you know, the 11-pound shot, the 5K. Yeah. And uh, I find, like, so with, like, Tyson, he's a big kid, and that kid really adjusts just great to overweight. And it really helps him with the lighter weight. So we'll go 16, 6K, 12, and then and then I'll usually have him throw some like 10 pound shot because I want to work a little. I wanted to work speed. Okay. And so we so it's it's always like a couple with the 16, you know, a couple with the six, a couple with the 12, and then we kind of repeat it. And that's what I've always done because I want them to adapt to the weight. I don't want them to like adapt through a practice. I want them to be able to adjust in the, in the span of 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they got to keep the technique consistent and and do the same thing. It's just going to be they're going to be moving a little faster and a little slower because the weight's heavier. Now, what about what about in discus then? So discus, um, I I like it too, and I I hadn't done a lot of that with like Jason and a lot of my guys. You know, it's. I think it's easier with the shot, just because you know you have. It's easier to have the different size weights, but um, it's. I think it's the same principle. But what I like is uh, we throw the overweighted bars. Okay. And I think the bars force you to do certain things because you can't. You know, like even with a two point five kilo discus, you kind of like cheat, right? You can you can do certain, but you can't cheat at the like a three kilo bar. Like you either throw it right or the bar is gonna win, right? And the and a two point five kilo discus, you kind of do some stuff and pull off, but you'll you'll see what the bar is not gonna go down the middle of the sector if you're 
if you're if you're throwing incorrect, but you can still kind of manipulate a discus. So I we kind of integrate like three to two point two five kilo bars, and then um, you know then the, then the comp weight, and then so with Jason, I've been late like lately. I have him throwing the one seven five. Tyson is another example. He'll throw. He throws the over. Yesterday he goes out and he throws and he throws like 180 feet with the 1.75, and he didn't even know he was throwing 1.75. <laughs> That's and awesome, I'm like, dude. Who, how do you not know you're throwing a heavier discus? Like, yeah, how is that yeah. possible? So, and then you know, um, but with the girls, you know, it's always tough. You just it's 1.25 kilo discuses aren't as easy. It's overweight, kind of off season, you know, and underweight. It's always hard to find like a 0.75 kilo discus. Yeah. So, so that's where, and they cost money. (laughs) Exactly. They're expensive. Shots are cheap. Right. So, all right. I guess, you know, that sort of wraps everything up. I, I, I've got like 600 more questions, but we're sitting around 50 minutes. I think people will enjoy this. And I, I think we should do this again. I dude, I would be all for once a month, you and I sitting down and doing a podcast and, and maybe we have like, two or three topics that that we pull off of Instagram where you, you know, you put up a, a little square and I put up a square and we see if we can get some, you know, two or three topics that we almost like uh, fire at each other. That was, that was one thing I wanted to do was like, I wanted to ask you if there's one technical thing in the shot and in the discus and you're not allowed to do anything else. But it's the most like like let's say it's the most consistent thing that you see wrong with all throwers in the shot and in the discus. What would that be? Um, that's the whole basis of my thing, right? That's the chain reaction. Yeah. Most people, most people, if I could only do and only ever have to coach one thing, you have to coach how to set up the, the setup. Yep. It's it's a, it's a chain reaction, and if you don't get the start right, and I can, you know, I think at least. I can look at most people, I can look at training and I can see what people are doing and I'm like, that's not gonna hold up in a pressure. Yeah, where they get where they get it's intense and, and and they do feel, you know, amped up or whatever and they just start pressing through those positions. Right. And now you're gonna exacerbate that slight flaw, whereas if they're relaxed and in training and you know, and I hear that said a lot of times. I I think when coaches say you know, I hear coaches, oh, they're, you know, they, they're not doing that in training and they're just tightening up. And I'm like, no, they're doing it in training. They're just doing it at a much lower level because they're relaxed. And as soon as you put them in a, a high pressure situation, that's going to amplify and that's going to screw up everything else. Absolutely. Yeah. So. I agree. All right, Eric. So where can everyone find you on social media, your website, YouTube, you know, whatever you can think of. Give everybody yeah. your information. Arate Throws Nation uh, on Instagram. And then we have uh, Arate Throws Nation on uh, YouTube. And then, of course, Arate is A-R-E-T-E. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but ArateThrowsNation.com. So that's where you have all of our stuff. We'll have, um, you know, that's where we have all of our chain reaction info. And we'll do our summer tour. So people are listening to this and we'll be in five cities and uh, we did it last year, and we might be adding uh, a sixth city, but um, looking to go maybe somewhere east coast. We've had some interest, so we're kind of putting that out there. All right. But we'll see. It's already busy, but that's our, our summer tour, and that's all on the site as well. Okay, sounds good. 
All right, Eric, so you and I need to figure out when we can have our next podcast and we'll come up with like a a five to ten question Q&A where we just get questions fired at us and we try and shit our brains on everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds awesome. All right, thanks for being on, Eric. All right, buddy, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, see you. At this time, we want to give a big thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Dane's Platform. Remember to look out for our next episode and check out our sponsors, Earth-Fed Muscle, The Acceleration Diet, and Holistic Encapsulations. Peace!